everybody, and welcome to the Springfield Googleplex, the movie podcast for Simpson fans. Each week, we talk about a movie parodied on The Simpsons. Maybe it was The Simpsons that introduced us to the film, or maybe when we finally saw it, we realized, oh, hey, that's where that Simpsons joke came from. Regardless, each week, we pick one that at least one of us hasn't seen or hasn't seen in a while, watch it, and come together to discuss. I'm your host, Adam Scholes, and joining me, as always, is the Shelbyville Millhouse to my Springfield Millhouse, my co-host, Nate Storing. How you doing today, buddy? So this is what it feels like when doves cry. <laughs> my oh, Millhouse is Everything's good. coming up Millhouse. <laughs> my feet are wet, but my calves are bone dry. <laughs> I, yeah. Thrill house. Thrill house. I love them. Um, well, here we are. We've reached the end of season one of the Springfield Googleplex. We've, we've laughed. We've cried. We've... Uh, hated we've loved we've gone through a whole string of emotions and (laughs) i just thought it would be fun for us to sort of regroup and take a look at what we discovered along the way and where we're hoping to go in the future so um yeah i i guess like what was the biggest takeaway for you from from all this nate yeah i feel like i learned a lot along the way about the way the simpsons deals with these parodies and these references right totally because I feel like when we started this, we had this weird idea (laughs) that a lot of the parodies were these kind of front-to-back parodies, right? Like Rosebud, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, draws a lot on Citizen Kane. Or Cape Fear, which is even more so almost a (laughs) front-to-back recreation of Cape Fear. Or the, like, Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace section of Treehouse of Horror, where it was all those Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, as it turns out, that's like not at all the case. Um, And it's funny how (laughs) I feel like my memory just like played this trick on me on that. And so uh, really kind of figuring out all the more subtle ways that The Simpsons plays with with movies and cinematic references uh, has been really awesome. It's been really exciting. So, like, for example, one of the things that I feel like they do a lot is these mashups of different things, right? Right. So you end up with things like uh, the Karate Kid being mashed up with mini golf, right? Or you have, you know, you only live twice, right? Is is only a part of that episode, and it's being mashed up with, you know, a commentary on like Silicon Valley and like mm-hmm. getting the Simpsons out of Springfield and all of these other sort of ideas that really come together to create something new, right? Even though it's taking this reference, it's so far out of context that it goes well beyond this idea of like fair use, where it's not just like a commentary on the movie. It's almost just the movie's raw material for something else entirely. Like you said, it's 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 homages, it's references. Parody is obviously still involved, but it's not like they're just like, oh, we need to come up with an episode. What's a famous movie that we can just steal the plot line of and do the Simpsonized version of? Yeah, sometimes um, it's that, but often it's not. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I guess what I wanted to sort of talk to you about is just like, what is parody? Because we kind of been we've been discussing this thing for six episodes now, but like we've never really dug into like, what is the meaning of parody? You know, when I think of parody, the first thing that comes to mind, believe it or not, uh, and maybe this says something about who I am, is either Mad Magazine or Weird Al. Like it's those are the two sort of things that I I think are synonymous with parody. But like. Mm What does that word mean within the context of The Simpsons? Yeah, I mean, I think that parody, one of the sort of misconceptions I think about parody is that 
it's always seen as being critical. Mm. And I think there's kind of a spectrum of different types of parody. Sometimes it can be really biting, but other times it's very loving, right? And on The Simpsons, it's often very loving. The things that are parodied the most and in the greatest detail are often actually things that you get the impression the writers respect a tremendous amount, right? Like Citizen Kane, right? is like one of the most parodied movies or the movies of of Stanley Kubrick, right? I mean, like they have a lot of love for these things and that's part of why they want to recreate them kind of in their own medium, which happens to be comedy, right? So what, I guess my question to you though, as the the intellectual of, the one with the (laughs) master's degree instead of the bachelor of fine arts and new media, uh, hi. Um, I have a BFA too. <laughs> yes, but you also have a master's degree. So mm. no, but I guess uh, my question is like, because wh- this is the thing that I guess I've always struggled with is like, what is the difference between like, there's reference and homage and then there's pastiche and then there's parody. And I guess I've always sort of struggled with like, what the difference between those, th- like pastiche is kind of like just like a reference kind of thing, right? Like parody tends to be more like there's like an analysis to it or like a satirical element or, or am I barking up the wrong tree here? No, no. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think that parody does typically have more of a comic side to it than Mm. pastiche, but they're both about imitating the style of like a particular artist or a particular era or all those sorts of things, right? And I think that, like, The Simpsons, you know, one of the interesting things that I feel like I've noticed rewatching a lot of this is just that um, they'll go from parodying a very specific movie or director to kind of parodying, like, a general idea pretty quickly. Like a style parody, almost. Right, right. So it's like, you know, I think when we were talking about You Only Move Twice, that Simpsons episode, one of the Mm. things that we kind of noticed was that, like, it's kind of a parody of You Only Live Twice, but it's also just kind of a parody of Bond movies. And there were even a, a few things where we couldn't really discern, is this actually a reference to like <laughs> Goldeneye, for example? Or right. is it just something that seems like something that might happen in a Bond movie, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's parody, right? Is that it's right. it's kind of a parody of what we think of Bond movies to be like. Whereas like homage is usually uh, very explicitly like a loving reference to something. Um, it's sort of a, like paying honor to something. Right. Or as as the Simpsons writers themselves say, homage, French for stolen. Right. Right. If it's if you're stealing for a movie that's in black and white, then it's, <laughs> it's homage. An homage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is a distinct difference on the show between parody and then references, because it's like the mm-hmm. references are more. I don't want to say like timely necessarily but that's you know like a throwaway joke to something like police academy like that's more of a reference than it is like a a, an actual parody right that's a great example like police academy or like matlock or like uh macgyver all of well actually macgyver does actually have some parodies too but like those two for example are brought up a lot by certain characters on the show but like i don't think that there are ever any actual parodies of it right uh, it's just a reference. And so to me, that says to me that they're kind of using that reference as a way to say something about those characters. Right. And because they're kind of funny references, like, you know, Homer loves Police Academy, right? <laughs> Patty and Selma love Police Academy. So they're trying to tell you those characters are the kind of people that would like Police Academy, right? And like, you know, Homer loves Animal House and b- bad ripoffs of Animal House, right? Yeah. It's a very particular kind of humor, right? So it's like they're trying to like paint a picture of these characters 
based on what they like and what they don't like, right? One of the other movies that they they make a lot of references to is uh, My Dinner with Andre, Mm. which is like a kind of obscure reference, right? Yeah. And they kind of like rag on it at times. But (laughs) the thing that's interesting is that like, I think the writers actually really love that movie and respect it. Uh, but they're trying to say something about, like, who doesn't like that movie, right? right. Or who doesn't get that movie um, and who does like it, right? Like, Martin Prince uh, in one episode is playing the arcade game of My Dinner with Andre, <laughs> right? And so it's like, okay, Martin Prince likes it, but probably a lot of the writers in some ways identify more with Martin Prince yeah, for sure. than they do with, with, like, Bart. Homer in yeah. certain ways, right? It's really interesting how, like, these little tiny references are used in that way, right? To kind of build out the world, build out the characters in really subtle ways that you don't notice until you start looking at it as a whole. Well, the, the you know, it's again, like the idea of reference versus parody. Like I think of the the joke in, it's not an episode that we've covered, but obviously the, the reference to David Lynch's Naked Lunch, where they're like, right. I can think of two things wrong with that title. But it's like, it's it's not a parody of the movie. It's just like, it's just like this throwaway joke reference to this thing that's obviously within the, the popular culture of the zeitgeist at the time. David I, I, Cronenberg. I, yeah, sorry. Yes, David Cronenberg. Canada's own David Cronenberg, not David Lynch. The, the two Davids. I get them. The two, the two weird Davids. Davids. <laughs> that's what they call themselves, the two Davids. Yeah, the two Davids. The Davids with weird hair. Um <laughs> I think, you know, like one of the other really interesting ways in which these more so the parodies kind of get used is like the way that over the course of kind of the first five seasons or so, the show is really experimenting with its animation and trying to find its voice in terms of what the animation looks like. And, you know, I can remember listening to some of the commentaries early on where they're talking about like the first, you know, episodes, like when they're really just getting started they have more of a proscenium style setup, mm-hmm. right? So like a stage almost that you're looking at where it's just the same room and people come on and come off and talk and all that kind of thing, like a sitcom, right? Yeah. And, and that's sort of always been the thing with comedy is like comedy is very right. much like, you know, up until you get to movies like The Graduate and some of like the Woody Allen stuff, it's like comedies were just like set up the camera so that you can deliver the punchline and people will laugh. Like, yeah, and 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 honestly, same thing for cartoons, too, up until The Simpsons, right? And one of the things that really set The Simpsons apart is that they made the decision early on to make their backgrounds right. with cell shading rather than the sort of elaborate painted backgrounds that you would see in, like, Hanna-Barbera cartoons right. and, and other things like that. And so they didn't really take full advantage of that at first, but it, it kind of laid the groundwork where they could actually make backgrounds much more easily than you could for some of those other cartoons that where they had to like reuse the backgrounds again and again, you know, of course, famously in like anytime they're running down a hallway, it's the same repeated background, but also just the settings get reused again and again. And so because they had that framework, they start experimenting, right. And moving away from the proscenium style animation of the backgrounds and start learning from cinema, right. And you start seeing new angles suddenly being introduced, right? New settings, new editing, right? Pans that start to get more and more elaborate. And I think that some of those first sort of experiments were inspired by movies, right? Well, it's interesting because, like, I I remember, and we discussed this in the episode, but, like, watching Sideshow Bob's Last Gleaming, like, I was just struck by how beautiful so much of the artwork and the cinematography and the framing. And like, yes, it was obviously making reference to Dr. Strangelove, 
but the fact that they were like actually achieving it was pretty remarkable especially when you remember like this was like pre-computer you know you look at animated shows today and for better or for worse like they can do a lot more elaborate animation style right. because everything isn't being done by hand but like for the simpsons to do it there there is so there's that artistry of the hand-drawn animation but it's just like yeah there's some really really beautiful composition in this show that like i don't think i ever really noticed until i was actively like looking for it and comparing it to the composition and cinematography of the films that it was referencing. Right. Totally. And then, and then the other thing that happens is that you get uh, VHS becoming ubiquitous. <laughs> yes. Right. Pretty early on in the sort of life of the show. And that gives them the ability to like rewatch all of these movies and freeze frame and all this kind of stuff that again, opens up the opportunity to get even more specific about the lighting yeah. or the composition of a specific shot and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that they kind of fall in love with their ability to do that at, you know, maybe in like season, season three, season four, or somewhere in there. And from there, the references and the parodies really just kind of like keep going up and up. In addition to like the cinematography and the editing and the style of the show, I think the thing that's been so fun now, not only that, we have the ability to pause, but we have much higher fidelity and you're able to sort of like catch these background gags, which the writers clearly spent <laughs> so much time constructing, even if it was, you know, completely lost on the original airing 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is another place where I think you really see the influence of like Mad Magazine and whether it's sort of a direct influence or just, you know, a, a, a common way of doing comedy, I guess, or thinking about comedy. You know, Mad Magazine used to really incorporate a lot of what they called chicken fat into their comic strips where you'd have all of these like background gags in the frame to just kind of, you know, punch up the humor. Right. Right. And so like that's where the term chicken fat comes from is it's like, you know, if you're making like a, a soup or you're making, you know, some kind of food, you add chicken fat to add flavor, right? Right. And so it's that same idea. You're, you're schmaltzing it up, right? Um, <laughs> by adding in a little, just a few extra gags, right? To, to really uh, hit it home. And so you see this all the time on The Simpsons, whether it's like, you know, signs in the mall or a sign at a protest or any number of things <laughs> like that. A lot of them are actually textual, right? Yes. They're, they're actually like written, uh, not so many like background gags of people doing funny things, but a lot of like written gags that that make it in, which I think is really fun. And it's sort of this genesis of like shows. I think of shows like Bob's Burgers. I mean, similar to The Simpsons with a couch gag, like every episode opens and the store next to the burger shop always changes and it's some clever right. witty parody and then bob likes to create his burger of the day and i was watching an episode this morning and the burger of the day was the parmesan claude van damme burger you know just like these little references for people who are paying attention and i think the simpsons really sort of like pioneered that in many ways and it's like now it's kind of maybe done to death and you know some shows maybe put more effort into their background gag humor than into like their actual like writing uh but you know it's this sort of interesting again full circle thing of like taking the mad magazine influence and sort of like how can we apply that into the animated form and then becoming sort of the masters of it and then you know how that ripple effect has happened across pop culture as a result right and a lot of them are, are really based in wordplay and that one of the interesting things that again I feel like I appreciate it more now that like streaming and DVDs became so ubiquitous where you really see the episode titles again and again mm -hmm. and again. 
And it's often the exact same kind of humor in the episode titles that you see in the background as well, right? Totally. You know, especially like, you know, movie marquees, of course, in The Mm -hmm. Simpsons often have jokes that could be almost verbatim used as titles of episodes. If you go back and look at some of the the movie parodies that are in Mad Magazine in like the 1970s, right, when a lot of the writers were growing up, it could almost be a series of Simpsons jokes. It's It's the same damn movies. Because one of the big differences is that Mad Magazine was doing things more contemporary. Yes. And then, you know, it's the same kinds of jokes, right? So it's like you can really see how that's a very strong influence on how they're approaching that, especially those background gags, those little extra bits of comedy that they throw in. Yeah, I've just pulled I've pulled up a list on Wikipedia of film spoofs in Mad Magazine, and you've got things like... Airplot, which is apparently a parody of Airport, A Fistful of Lasagna, right? Put On, Catch All 22, West Coast Story. I mean, they're not necessarily the strongest, but Caper Goon instead of Paper Moon. Right. Um, but yeah, like this is the genesis of what eventually would go on to become like supercalifragilisticexpialaannoidgruntious. Right. I said in the very very first episode we recorded and we've made reference to it at multiple points throughout the show like the simpsons very much informed my knowledge of comedy but also my knowledge of popular culture and i think it's really interesting what pop culture looks like in terms of the simpsons looking back (laughs) on it with 30 years of like you know history now like what they choose to reference and what they choose not to reference i mean obviously like we we sort of said this like it's funny that all of the movies and and granted we we did make these selections but like basically everything we were referencing was either from the 1960s or the 1980s so it's like at at the point the show is being made because we and we were sort of dancing around the sort of season seven or eight ish era maybe like five between five and eight so at that point, the 80s are maybe like 10 years past and then the 60s are about like, you know, 30-ish years past. Mm-hmm. But like that's where it seems like a lot of the popular culture references are concentrated. It's not contemporary references. It, they're right. not necessarily making reference to stuff that would be on the air at the time. It's this sort of like 10 years or later. So I just sort of wanted to unpack like your thoughts on that. And I know for me personally, I'm able to reference so much stuff from like, the 60s and 70s that like adults are always like how the hell do you know about that like you weren't around like why do you know about this i'm like because well a part of it is my parents but a lot of it is because that's what the simpsons was referencing so like i know about it because of the simpsons yeah totally so i mean there's a great quote from conan o'brien i i think it was the the episode of series jibber jabber where he where they brought together the old simpsons writers uh, for like a round table and he says something like uh references are like space junk (laughs) (laughs) in that like you know you end up with like just all this kind of crap floating in the atmosphere right and what he was talking about is those sort of contemporary references that like at the time you're like how could anyone ever forget this thing happened herman's head (laughs) but then like five years later it's like no one remembers that at all right so like there's one episode where it ends with Patty sort of cradling Jub Jub, her iguana. Yes, and it's the Murphy Brown reference. Right, right. it's a parody of yeah. like the season finale of Murphy Brown. Yeah, Murphy Brown has a baby and she sings. You make me feel, you make me feel, you make me feel like a 
right, right. And it's like, I've never seen Murphy Brown. I don't, I don't, you know, like... Well, Murphy Brown's a good show. I believe it. But, like, as a kid, yeah, you know, when that... Probably when that yeah. aired, I had absolutely no idea what reference that was and did not know that that was a reference to that until I listened to the commentary. Right. And so, like, because of that, The Simpsons actually largely avoids those kinds of references, right? Yeah. That, like you said, they're not really doing that much contemporary stuff with a few exceptions. I feel like they're they're sometimes poking fun at Fox because they're always poking fun right. at Fox in a kind of contemporary way. They also poke fun at the Cosby show because yes. it was like one of their major their, their competitors at the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like other than that, they kind of don't do the contemporary thing. So they're always, they're kind of waiting for I think a consensus to build up around the things they're referencing. Right. Because when you think about it, the stuff that immediately comes to mind, it's like they're referencing star Wars. They're referencing the Godfather, like citizen Kane, like these, the Godfather and citizen Kane arguably considered to be the two greatest films in American cinema history. Like, so, so those references probably aren't going to go out of date. Now, granted citizen Kane is now, I think we're at like 80 or 90 years since it's been released. So it's Mm -hmm. like, maybe those references are starting to feel a little dated, but like, but you're right. Like Batman, the TV series, which is this, again, it's this weird thing of like, I I know that YTV was re-airing it when we were kids because I watched it. And that was, that was my introduction to Batman. But it's this weird thing of like, if, like, how did that play out if you didn't have YTV in Canada in like 1995? But like, Everybody kind of knows the references to like Jiminy Jillikers is like a parody of Robin being like, holy shark bait, Batman or like whatever right. dumb, you know, Batman. I mean, again, two things sort of about parody is like, number one, it's kind of a parody of like an idea that's floating around mm-hmm. in pop culture. So it's like, even if you haven't seen the thing, you kind of know like the kind of thing it's making fun of or yeah. referencing. And then the other thing is that often I feel like you get the parody joke because you've seen other parodies of it. So it's like, you may have never seen the yeah. ba- like the original Batman series, but you've seen Robin's, you know, holy blank line parodied in like 10 other things. And so you yeah. know that line, you know that beat, right? That gag. And so I feel like that's, that's part of it. And also like some of the stuff just stands on its own. It's kind of even funnier if you get the reference, but like if you don't, it's still funny to hear Jimmy Jillikers, right? And in a sort of campy voice. Well, it's, it's interesting because like, this is like a thing that children's animation now does is like, okay, well, we know that the parents have to watch this with their kids. So we're going to throw in these references to things that the parents will get. And I remember Shrek was riddled with this, but it was never, there was something that they did differently from the Simpsons. It just never felt like it was this like loving or like that there was a story reason to it. I think that's what sort of has struck me about the way that the Simpsons does it. It's never a reference for the sake of like, somebody out there is watching this and we need to keep them entertained. So we're going to reference something old. It's like, yeah. no, there's, there's a reason behind this. There's a, there's, well, there's a motivation for this reference, even if it is like a super deep cut to some, like, you know, something that most people aren't necessarily going to catch. Well, and I think I, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I never felt like the Simpsons was trying intentionally to like bifurcate the audience and say, all right, mm-hmm. so this stuff's for the kids and this yeah. stuff's for the the parents, right? It, it was always kind of like a free-for-all, right? The jokes were kind of for whoever was watching. And for that reason, like a joke about something from the 70s or like, God, the 30s, <laughs> right? 
right, was still targeted at kids and at adults, right? And, like, a lot of the references are from before the time of, like, our parents, too, right? There's yeah. stuff from the 30s and the 40s in there, too, because you have, like, John Schwartzwelder with his, his like, strange old-timey sense of humor about, like, radio plays and, like, yeah. just, like, Americana of, like, hobos with bindles and, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. like Riding the rails. Pies cooling on the windowsill and stuff. It's not a pop culture reference for anyone who's listening today. It's just funny, right? Yeah. I feel like... The, one of the main differences is that they're not just being like, wink, wink, you get it. It's like a reference to this thing. They're just kind of using this wealth of pop culture as raw material for making something new a lot of the time. Well, and that's what, again, coming back to the premise of the, you know, what we say in the intro is that, like, there's stuff that even today, like, I didn't catch maybe 10 years ago, but now being, you know, that much more well-read or well-watched or whatever you want to say, it's like, oh, that's a parody. Like, and and we can get into this when we talk about the database some more, but, like, you're finding stuff now that, like, you never caught before, but because you've right. got that extra level of, like, oh, I've now got five more years of, like, consumption of art, I now know that this is actually a, a reference to something that I never would have caught you know, five years ago. That has been the thing that I think is so striking to me is just like what they've chosen to parody, how they choose to parody it, how integrated it is as a joke or a story point. Like I'm even watching like Sesame Street with my son right now. And it's like, Mm -hmm. they do that a lot where it's like the kids are clearly have no idea what this is. It's just there for like the parents to be like, oh, isn't this clever? Like they're doing, you know, the karate kid or they're doing Harry Potter or whatever. But like a three-year-old doesn't know what that is. But but that's the difference between, I think, The Simpsons and everybody else is it, everything always feels motivated in some way. Right. Yeah, I think that I think there's definitely something to that. OK, well, so so we've talked a lot about our sort of dis- rediscovery of things from The Simpsons. But let's just briefly touch on some of the things that we discovered revisiting these or visiting for the first time in some cases, the six films in the series. Uh, I know for me personally, I think the thing that I was most surprised by was just like what I liked versus what I didn't like. Mm. You know, it's weird that the movies that I was revisiting, I was kind of like lukewarm on. In one instance, like The Karate Kid, which I hadn't seen before, I really, really liked. And then the other film that I hadn't seen before, Planet of the Apes, was less sort of enamored with. And then obviously The Nutty Professor, which we both hadn't seen. I don't think either of us were particularly fond of. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, what were what what did what were your takeaways from 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 the choices that we ended up making? Yeah, I really enjoyed Nightmare on Elm Street. It's always great to go back and kind of revisit other parts of the filmography of a director you really love. So like, yeah, I wasn't surprised that I really enjoyed that one. Um, you Only Live Twice. Similarly, <laughs> it's like, you know, familiar with like the Bond franchise, obviously, but I am not so familiar with all the different interpretations of it. So just like going back to this weird time that was so f- sexist and racist and just... <laughs> kind of awful um yep. was uh was interesting i don't know if i was surprised by the type of things that were going on but i was surprised by the degree of them <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> yeah i guess i think that was the thing i would say is that we discussed this in the show but like i don't know when it happens but there's sort of this period where all of a sudden film becomes modern mm-hmm. and it's like there but i noticed how like how dated 
the like pre 19 let's just call it 1975 i don't know that that's the actual date but let's call it the pre 1975 films felt and even like the 80s films yes they feel like of the time and there's there is a like distinct 80sness to them in terms of like the fashion and the music and the you know the way people sure. speak but like in terms of the filmmaking it feels very modern but those early films they just feel very old and it, it's Star Wars, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, like th- I think you, I think you might be right. I think it might be Star Wars. It's just it's or the just Godfather. That, yeah, but the Godfather is very slow moving as well. I mean, I think yes, you're right. But you it, know, there's, Star, there's, Star Wars pushed yeah, everything towards right. yeah, this like okay. faster pace, tighter. You know, skipping over the stuff that you don't need to show. It fits right into that time frame too. You know, but um, yeah, but I guess it's just the fact that those films that we watch from that earlier period. Mm-hmm. They they very much fall into the category of like films I admire but don't enjoy. Right. Whereas the newer stuff were films that I enjoyed and admired. And I have to say, like, I really enjoyed uh, the conversation that we both had with The Nutty Professor, a film that neither of us had seen. Like, I was really... And neither I, of us I, enjoyed. I, <laughs> neither of us seen Neither of us enjoyed. I think I really enjoyed that the most, you know, coming to something that we both had... Were, coming in totally blind didn't know what to expect never seen it before and and what came out of it as a result yeah definitely i mean i i was very happy revisiting the two movies that i had seen already like the karate kid it's just like it's a such a tight movie front to <laughs> oh, back it's so it was so good though. it knows like, what I, it is it knows what yeah. it's doing um so like i loved that and planet of the apes i mean i i still love it <laughs> and, you know it does have that like 60s pacing but for me, it works because of the scale of it. It's got some like epic influences, right? Well, totally. You know, Charlton Heston, not surprising, I guess, right? But you know, the wandering through the desert and just like the scale of the sets and everything, like that's the stuff that keeps me going through that. Whereas Doctor Strangelove and The Nutty Professor are both very small movies in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Very set driven, very character driven. It's all about the actors and the script and. Dr. Strangelove makes a meal out of what it's given, right, in terms of that set and the cinematography. But it is, in a lot of ways, a very small movie. I think that's the difference for me. Maybe Planet of the Apes is kind of like right on that edge, which makes sense, right? Right. Again, if you're thinking of Star Wars as, you know, one of the sort of key key moments, it's right there. So anyway, Dr. Strangelove... I mean, what do I say about Dr. Strangelove? It's so funny because, like I said, I went into that being like, oh, this is my favorite Kubrick movie. I'm really like, this is going to be fun. And then I came away from it being like, that was not fun at all. But again, I don't know if that was just because it just felt too close to home. Again, I mean, I think for me, the interesting thing about Strangelove was really actually the Simpsons part of it, of just Mm -hmm. thinking about why is this movie so important to the writers of The Simpsons? What did they take away from this that they like incorporated into the show beyond just like the parodies, but also just the sensibility? But for them to call it one of the funniest movies ever written, like yeah. I, I, I might have laughed twice. Like I just that was really surprising to me. It was just yeah. like, I don't I don't know. And it's not like I don't find old stuff funny because I do. But I just yeah, I don't know. It's it's. That was that one was a big surprise for me, I think. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it is about like the cynicism, right? Like, I forget like how many times there's an angry mob in Springfield, you know, <laughs> just like how gullible and quick to anger everyone is in town. Yeah. You know, they're so fair weather. They're like ready to turn on you. And like all of that sort of stuff, I feel like is maybe where a movie like Dr. Strangelove is kind of 
inspiration for The Simpsons. But again, the brilliance of it is that they take that and then they combine it with other things, with like the Three Stooges, right? Or with the Nutty Professor or any number of other sources of comedy so that it's not so dour, I guess, and so dry, right? There are also laugh out loud moments in The Simpsons. And so like, I think that that balancing act is really what makes it work for me. Other thing I really wanted to touch on in this episode, because we really haven't had a chance to like dig into it because of time and what we wanted to cover, was the incredible work that you've done on this Simpsons movie reference movie parody database that you've been building and that is on our website and that people can dig into. The one thing that I think we need to address is the fact that like you've been continuing to work over this while we've been you know recording this and how much it's evolved and how the rankings have actually like changed since we began. So, yeah, I just wanted to sort of take this time to talk through the database and some of the, you know, surprises you've found or maybe the things that are less surprising or where where we currently stand and like where are we going with it, how it's evolved since we sort of set out here. Yeah. So, I mean, it sort of started as just a way for us to try to figure out, like, what are we going to talk about on this podcast, right? What are the movies that would be interesting to dig into? What episodes are related to them, right? So it was just a very practical thing. And then uh, the more I started digging into it, the more I realized that there are places, obviously, on the internet you can find these things, right? Like IMDb, you know, Simpsons Wiki. Like, there's all of these places that do talk about references in the show, but they all differ a little bit from one another, right? They Mm -hmm. all make different claims. Some of them have more things on one episode and less things on another episode, right? So I really wanted to create one place where that brings all of the movie references together, and also starts to like fact check some of them, add things that aren't anywhere yet. And I've been surprised actually how many things I've been able to add like that. You know, movie posters in the background, things they mention on the commentary that are a little bit oblique, like, oh, that's a Bond reference, but they don't say what movie, right? Yeah, you sent me that the other day and that was a shocking, like, I never would have pegged that. And I was like, how did you even figure this out? But yeah, it's when Groundskeeper Willie meets his Scottish lassie There's a shot that is actually taken from You Only Live Twice, go figure, where he's sort of looking up and it's from underneath her legs. You know, it's like a blink and you miss it moment. And in the commentary, they just say, oh, that's a Bond shot. But that's where it's from. There's a lot of little things like that that I was able to add. Um, And it's still changing, right? I'm still working my way through rewatching every episode with the commentary to just add things, fact check things, all of that kind of stuff. But right now I'm at like over 1,500 references um, (laughs) for the first 13 seasons of The Simpsons, which is kind of where we decided to just somewhat arbitrarily make a cutoff. But it's actually around the time that we met was when that Mm -hmm. was airing. So that makes sense. And yeah, I mean, some of the surprises, uh, the most referenced movie, right? Not necessarily the most parodied movie, as we were talking about, there's a difference, is The Wizard of Oz. So I think that that's really interesting. And it's like not even close in terms of the numbers. Let me see here. Right now, it's got about 20, over 25 references. And to be clear, when we're talking about references, you've sort of categorized it into sort of like full scale, like parody references, visual references, and then like dialogue references, right? Yeah. Well, so there are, are like several different types. There's plot references, whole scenes that are taken out. There's dialogue references, there's textual references, like things in the background or, you know, an itchy and scratchy episode title. 
there's audio references like music cues or, right. or sound effects. There's straight up mentions, right? So there's a whole bunch of ways that these things are referenced. And really, like The Wizard of Oz, I think part of the reason it kind of skates under the radar is that there aren't as many scene references as, mm. say, like Citizen Kane. But it's mentioned all the time. And almost every musical number is either like heard at some point or, or there's like a little snippet, tons of lines of dialogue. It's, it's everywhere. It's kind of part of the DNA of the show. Going back to, you know, the first season, I think. And the other thing that's interesting about The Wizard of Oz, of course, is that it's on this list of Matt Groening's 100 Favorite Things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not number one on the list, but it is the top ranked movie on the right. list. And I, I don't know whether or not he's one of the reasons why it's like so frequently you know, cited or if it's something that like all of the other writers love, too. But you don't actually hear them talk about it that much in the commentary either. It's just something that seems to just naturally happen. Is it this thing that just has permeated North American pop culture to the extent that it's so ubiquitous that like you're making reference to it without even realizing it? Like, I I, who, I don't know. Right. It's, it sounds like we may have to uh, investigate. That may have to be it. Yeah, this may have to be an episode in another season. Um, okay. But the uh, here's another another shocker. Stanley Kubrick is actually neck and neck with another director for the top spot at the moment. Can you take a guess at who the other one is? Uh, well, I mean, it, it's not Victor Fleming. Like, it's not the director of Wizard of Oz. Like, nope. it's another director. Okay. Um, give me an era. What are we looking at? Uh, let's say 80s onward, mostly. Like Tim Burton? No. No? Okay. Uh, I don't, He's I, incredibly I, prolific. Oh, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> it's Steven Spielberg. Yeah, of yeah. course. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's a lot of it is just, just like, how do you not reference, you know, Jaws, Close Encounters, <laughs> yeah, the, Indiana arguably Jones. Arguably the single most prolific right. filmmaker of modern popular cinema. Yeah, fair yes. enough. Yes. So, okay. so, you know, that's like the person who's currently in contention for the other top right. spot for of directors. But Kubrick is like one of the most referenced directors. But that's super interesting because, like I said, you know, you think of like Spielberg has directed. God, I don't need like I like at least probably at least 30 films. Like, let, let me just see 58 credits for director. So, yeah. <laughs> and then Stanley Kubrick, who directed what, like 12 movies, like has a very, right. very limited filmography and is right. tied with the director who has nearly 60. Like, right. That's exactly. Wild. Yeah, it's like, so Spielberg on The Simpsons in those first 13 seasons, nine of those 58 films are referenced and Stanley Kubrick, seven are referenced of his filmography. So that gives you a sense of like, you know, yeah, Steven Spielberg made a lot of movies, a lot of really great movies that like, you know, they're also cultural touchstones, right? So it's like, it's good fodder for humor because you know people are, a lot of people are going to get those references, right? Yeah, and to our point of like what they choose they're not picking 1942 they're picking et yeah close encounters and the movies that like clearly had cultural staying power even maybe a year after they released jurassic park right yeah he's one of those exceptions i think in terms of like they do reference his movies fairly soon after they come out compared to some other stuff um but then yeah compared to stanley kubrick again much tighter filmography and they're referencing almost as many as many references and almost as many films. So that's that's pretty right. wild. 
what's like the most obscure thing you've found so far? Because obviously like the Wizard of Oz, the Godfather, like these are not surprising, especially when we know that, like you said earlier, that they tend to pick things that have cultural staying power. But has there been anything that you're like, whoa, that is a deep cut even for me? Like, I don't even know what that is, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there have definitely been a couple like that. One that's that's pretty obscure is... I mean, it's obscure by my standards. I think it's actually a movie that, like, people of a certain age would probably be more familiar with. But the entire plot, apparently, of Bart Gets Hit by a Car is basically lifted from a movie called The Fortune Cookie. Oh. (laughs) Which is, like, I don't know. Every once in a while on the commentary, they'll say something like, you know, yeah, this is a movie that no one remembers. So, uh, you know, we can just, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) take this and make it new again. You know, so there's, there's some stuff like that. Another super obscure one comes from the commentary, actually. But for whatever reason, again, this is one that I hadn't seen on the Internet in any other location. In the episode, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Where Homer meets his long lost brother for the first time and puts him out of business, basically. uh, (laughs) The company that replaces Powell Motors, his brother's company, is called Kumatsu Motors, which is meant to be a reference to a Japanese film called Skinny and Fatty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which uh, I guess Mike Reese really likes. He and his family like used to like watch huh. this movie, I guess. But the funny thing, too, is that they actually got the spelling of the name wrong. It's, it's named after one of the characters <laughs> in the movie, and they actually misspelled the name. But yeah, it's supposed to be this reference to this movie. Again, it's not one that I've ever heard of, and I think it's the only reference to that movie in The Simpsons. But there's a lot of stuff like that that's just like these really interesting one-offs that are very deep cuts. So, Well, I guess even Apu, right? Like Apu comes from Savage right. Ray's Apu trilogy. So like that in and of itself is this weird, like very upfront reference to this this incredible icon of like Indian cinema from like the 1950s or whatever. Right. Also on Matt Groening's list of 100 favorite things, I believe. So yeah, I think those are some of like the big picture things, but it really is a work in progress and we'll see how it continues to change as I work my way through all of the seasons. I think I'm currently in the middle of season five. So there's a ways to go. And by the time I get to 13, who knows? It could all be completely different. So if people wanted to like contribute to this, you know, to help you in your journey, trying to catalog all of these references, is that something that people can do? Yeah, absolutely. If you spot an error or you know of a reference that's not in there or anything like that, of course, you can always uh, email us at springfieldgoogleplex at gmail.com. And just let us know. Just give us the information about what episode, what movie, and a little bit of details about what the reference is. And we will definitely investigate and consider adding it to the database. Well, I'm super excited to see where it ends up. And also, like, it's giving us plenty of fascinating stuff to dig into for future seasons. Uh, And to that point, I think that kind of takes us to the end of our season one finale wrap up episode. Thank you so much for joining us on this special trip down memory lane, I guess, of the Springfield Googleplex, the movie podcast for Simpsons fans. As always, if you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review, share this episode with Simpson fans and film buffs in your life. 
And make sure you follow us on social media so that you know more about when season two drops. We don't really have like a, a plan for anything yet, but we promise a season two is coming. Uh, if there's a movie that you think that we should cover, you know, that's maybe in the database or not, uh, let us know. We're definitely interested and open to ideas for stuff for us to dig into. So if you want to get in touch again, you can get in touch with us on social media at Simpsons Film Pod, or uh, you can shoot us an email springfieldgoogleplex at gmail.com and yeah in the meantime I guess we will see, see you around the play. play I can't believe we it, we did six episodes and we still didn't come up with a better sign off than that I know we're a pathetic lot well, yeah we need to we need to get some season. season writers in here yeah, yeah we'll maybe, get there we'll get there we'll get there okay well thank you so much for joining us see you around the play.